Hey, Adam Smolcom here, lead pastor of Vive Church. Welcome to our podcast. I pray that God will speak to you through the message today and that a greater level of faith would be unlocked in your life. God bless. Well, this morning I started a conversation here in Mountain View around the Christmas carol, Oh Holy Night, that we just sang. One line in particular that grabbed me this week, it's probably my favourite Christmas carol. I've sung it millions of times over my short life and honestly, one line in particular that I didn't even know was there. I, I must have missed it. It must have been blanked out for some reason. But there is a line that says, and the world and the world, your soul knows its worth till he appeared and our soul felt its worth. What a concept. And we answered the question, what's a soul worth? What's a soul worth? How do you put worth on a soul? I would encourage you to get the podcast. It's going to help some people. But I thought we would do something different tonight. We'd take another line from the Christmas carol and we would talk about hope, the thrill of hope. How is hope thrilling in a day and age that we live in where it seems dark, seems that anxiety's on the rise, depression's on the rise? How is it that we can have a hope that is thrilling? And I thought I wouldn't just do it myself. I thought I'd have some friends come and join me on the stage. And so I'm going to invite up Pastor Michelle to come up on stage. And I also need my wingwoman, my wife, a.k.a. Kira Smolcom, the Velvet Hammer. Church, would you give it up for these amazing women? Tonight we're going to have a dialogue, a discussion with you. Your part is silent. Our part is verbal. <laughs> even though the amens are accepted and appreciated, we do believe God's gonna to speak to us tonight. So why don't you do something as you prepare your heart? Why don't you find five people around you and give them a Vive style bear hug? Would you do that real quick? Come on, give them a big squeeze. Give them a big squeeze. Just hug somebody. Yeah, come on. All right, Vive Church, so great to see you tonight. As I said, we've been really digging in today about soul care. What does that mean to recognize and identify where your soul is? We went in today, again, please get the podcast, too much for me to revisit, but really identifying what's the difference in our life between our body, our soul, and our spirit. Mm -hmm. That God really identifies each part as significant. He speaks in His Word to each part. And as a person of God, as the people, as a human, to identify that there are these three distinct aspects in our life is so important for us to understand how do we respond to those moments. We talked about how there's evidently a body. Everybody knows the body. You can see somebody right now. You're probably sitting next to somebody. And we're really good in our modern culture of looking after our bodies. Some people spend more time on their body than others. It's evident. We realize some people have no care for their body. Whatever it is, let it be. Amen. It is what it is. <laughs> but as much time as you spend on your body, what goes into your body, how you care for your body, I wonder, do you care so much for your soul? And how do you care for your soul? What conditioning is there for your soul? If your soul is a major element of your life, it's the place of your emotions, your will, your intellect, your personality. We also established that your personality comes from your soul. 
You ever met the family member? You're probably going to meet them this week. You probably got, everyone's got one. I'm sure of it. Everybody I speak to is like, oh, pastor, I know that family member. You know that family member that's rude and obnoxious and offensive? How many people know that family member? If you don't know that family member, it may be you. I'll just be honest with you. People are like, I don't have a family member. Like, oh. That family member just says stuff without any regard of feelings or how they make people feel. They're offensive. And their answer is when you address it, they're like, I am who I am. Yeah, but you know what I'm talking about. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, I know him, Uncle Jim. Yeah. But, but, but I want to give you some response when they say, I am who I am. Say, well, that's not who you have to be. Because the same way that you can shape your body, you can shape your soul. See, kindness comes from the soul. Empathy comes from the soul. And if you want to change your personality, try some kindness out for a change. Try some empathy out. Just try some things out and watch as it'll shape your personality into a person that you want to be, not just who you are or what life's made you to be. But you know, we're not just talking about the soul feeling its worth. We thought we'd take it another step on this beautiful Christmas carol, Oh Holy Night, and we would talk about the thrill of hope. Mm. I want to talk about it. If you think this conversation is redundant, then you're obviously not watching the news and you're not dialed into society where there is still an epidemic of suicides and depression and anxiety. Even this week, we saw a well-known person in Hollywood who had everything seemingly going for them, opportunity, upward trajectory, all this career highlights and what we would consider as worldly or earthly success, yet took their life. And we're left with the question, why? Why, if hope is such a thrill, how do we find this kind of hope? What does the Bible say about hope? And I want us to know as a church what this hope is that the Bible talks about. What kind of hope are we talking about? Is it a hope for real life? Is it a hope for this day and age? Is it just a hope in eternity or is it a hope that's applicable to our world today? And I thought I'd bring up the hope experts because something we're endeavoring in next year as a church is a hope mission. We've got the hope hangar, the hope truck. We are really positioning ourselves as the church to bring hope to the city, hope to the world. And you might think, well, what positions you to bring hope to the world? We have the hope. His name is Jesus. And I want to tell you, He is the only hope for this world. And uh, I thought we would talk about that. I've got my wife here, of course, the Velvet Hammer, a.k.a. Kira Smolka, Margo, I've got Dark Horse, all these different names that she has. <laughs> these are the many nicknames that He creates for me. Yeah, there's 10 at the moment. But my wife's with, did you want to say something real quick? No, I just wanted to say you look great and I love my church. You are absolutely amazing. I met some people who have been in our online service who are in service tonight. Let's and go. it's just so great to have you here. Welcome. In the flesh. Um, but yeah, we're going to get around and hug you all later. And exactly. Love on We've also got Pastor Michelle who is leading our Hope Mission, our Hope Outreach. In the new year, Pastor Michelle's leading the Hope Hang of the Hope Truck, our Outreach Help Online, which is really our. Suicide, suicide prevention hotline, yeah. where we have a lot of people call in who are on the edge. Maybe we could start there. Mm. Maybe we could talk about this idea of, of ending your life. Mm. Because we're seeing it all over the place. And what's the Christian's response? If we do have yeah. hope, what is that hope that we have? 
Pastor Michelle, give us some thoughts. I think we first need to probably have a biblical understanding of what the Bible says about suicide. Yes. Because when we start from that perspective, then the hope that we're going to talk about makes a lot of sense. It does, yes. And so um, there's a verse that's often used um, to tell people about God's hate for suicide, essentially. And it's misused, but it's 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. And it says, God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. And what has often been done is, um, that's why it's so important and why I love our church, is we don't just tell you read the Bible, but the way and the method in which you read the Bible yes. is so important. So you don't lead to conclusions that aren't right. Because in this context, Paul was addressing the church in Corinth, yes. and he was talking specifically to the mess of the church that they were creating. He wasn't talking the context of suicide. Correct. And so the Bible speaks about suicide. Suicide is as old as the Bible is. We've see, we see examples of individuals. Um, there are six specific ones, seven if you include Samson, where the Bible tells us that they end their lives. And so God, God is not, it's not, you know, it's not a realm that's outside of what the Bible talks about, but specifically what does the Bible say about suicide is something that to go on the journey on is really important to do. One thing that we do know is that suicide is murder. Murder is the taking of a life of another. And as Christians, you have this really firm understanding that our life is no longer our own, that our life belongs to God. And so anytime someone takes that life or you take that life yourself, you're taking another, you're taking something that belongs to God into your own hands. And so if, if that, if, you know, we agree now suicide is murder. Murder is a sin. And so the Bible talks about that. We see that all the way in the early, in the commandments, murder, sin. We see that in the laws of our country, this pretty uncontroversial murder is, is wrong. And so it leads us to understand that suicide is sin, that suicide is not God's plan for us, that when you, you know, the definition of sin a lot of times is missing the mark. And when we take our own life, it is, it's, it's so against what God wants. It's the complete opposite to God who is life. And so we, we come from this understanding that every single act of suicide that we see is a, is a grievance. And we feel it even as a society this week, the amount of people that have reached out who have no relation to the person, to Twitch, but they just felt it yeah. because there's something inside of us as believers that knows it's not God's plan for us. So good. Yeah. I mean, amazing. So we just established, I guess in many ways, biblically and put in context what suicide is. I don't think that it's a surprise to anybody. However, we do need to also establish that suicide is a sin, but it's not an unforgivable sin. Yeah. And we have a power of God's grace. You know, what Paul talks about when he talks about the grace of God, he, he talks about in a context of, man, when I think about God's grace, he says, I'm convinced that not height nor depth, no angel nor demon, no, no, no thing on this world can separate me from the love of God. That, that we serve a God of immense grace and immense power. And there are many reasons behind why someone would probably go through that act. But ultimately, I've got to believe that what we're missing is hope. Yep. Hope is the key. Hebrews talks about hope as an anchor. And so when we have a stability in our life, now, whatever drives people to that despair or that desperation, we do have an understanding that there is hope. 
Let's talk about that hope. Honey. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we, it's all through Scripture. We have this living hope, okay? And I want to just unpack 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, and it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope yes. through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We do not have a dead hope. It's not just like I hope one day that you know my situation or my circumstances are gonna change. No, it is a hope, it is an anticipation, it is an expectation. And, and our hope didn't, it, yes, our hope died, but it resurrected, Jesus resurrected, and then He ascended, and He now sits at the right hand of the Father. So we have a living hope, a hope that is an active hope, a hope that is working in the world today, through, you know, through our lives and, and, and that's how hope can change the world. So when hope, you know, comes alive in us, when we obtain Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, see, before Jesus, you don't have hope. Yes. But in Jesus, you have a living hope. That is... That changes everything. Then you suddenly have purpose. You suddenly have an expectation. And you know, I, I like Peter, and I like that he uses this scripture because Peter was like the apostle of hope. Yes. Like he was ministering to a people who were being persecuted. They were suffering severely for the gospel. And so, you know, he's like, don't worry. There's stuff that's happening to your body. There's yes. stuff that's happening in the natural. There's trials, there's tribulations. But even in that, beyond the current circumstances, there is a future hope that you are living for, a resurrection hope so that you have life in Jesus Christ. And so this is the hope that the believer holds. And it is the hope that our world needs. And that's why I love that song before. It was like, go tell, go tell the people the line. I, I, I'm old school. Go tell it on the mountain. <laughs> yeah. We church everything up nowadays. Yeah, but then I'm there was like you. a tell it. You know, yeah, somebody caught it. But anyways, that's why we need to be vocal about our faith. That's why we need to tell people we have the hope of the world living on the inside of us and what Jesus has done for us so that we can prevent, so that we can circumvent some of the stuff that the enemy does because like he hijacks moments like this that are happening in society and that, that happen on social media. We might not even know these people, but we are still affected by it because we understand that the soul has worth. Yes. And we get confused about the reality of that. And so anyways. Um, no, I love it. It's powerful. You know, the, Titus 2, 12, 13, 14 talks about our blessed hope. Yeah. So we've got this blessed hope that our hope isn't in the circumstance. Our hope is beyond it. But God is enduring us and keeping us and holding us onto this thing called hope. It's an anchor to our soul. It keeps us steady. It keeps us yeah. steadfast. That I don't have to find my hope in the hopeless situation. Exactly. It's yeah. even what, 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 what Paul says about Abraham, that Abraham hoped against hope. Yes. In other words, in Abraham's situation, yeah. he's, he, there's no hope for a kid. Yeah. His, his wife's womb was dead. He was old. Yeah. So he didn't have hope in the situation. He had hope in his God. So against all hope, in hope, Abraham believed. A powerful understanding. And we're talking about in Romans uh, chapter 8. Check this out. Let me read this passage of Scripture to you. Paul's talking about the current sufferings and opposition that the church was experiencing. That they were going through hardship. That it looked bleak. It didn't look optimistic. Even the, half, the glass half full people were a little bit pessimistic in this moment. 
But he says, verse 22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is no hope at all. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait with patience. What Paul was talking about is stop trying to look for hope in your circumstances. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Even though you can't see Him, you have a hope that is held higher than your situation. There is an anchoring hope that can help you endure. And this is the kind of hope that you need in life, especially when you're facing, let's talk about it, mental illness and different reasons why you would consider ending it. You need the anchor of hope in your life. Yeah. Stability. Absolutely, absolutely. No, I, I love looking at Paul's life because Paul, when you, you, you follow him from when he was Saul and, in the, and he committed murder after murder after murder and we know that those are traumatic events and then he has this really big conversion moment becomes Paul and now is, is sent on the mission of spreading the word to the Gentiles and so if there's anyone that could probably if we were to do a, psych, a psychology analysis of him that could have had okay. mental health it's probably Paul. He, right. he probably had some things he had to sort of work through and, and, you know, to use the modern day vernacular, probably some traumas in his life and every excuse to say like, you know what, I've, I've gone through a lot. In fact, in 2 Corinthians, he says this, he says, we were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely on God who raises the dead. Amazing. And I love that understanding that, you know, there's a reason why our hope is so strong and so enduring is that God knows we're going to need it in this life. Yes. That if you live long enough, you will get to a point and maybe it's different scales. You know, I don't know where, where this is finding you, whether you've gone full blown suicidal ideation or even just the thought of, I don't want to do this anymore. That God knows that we're going to need, we're going to need this yeah. hope. We're going to need that endurance. And so there is this point where you get to where you can't rely on yourself. You can't. Wow. The self-helpness that we have in this world doesn't work. <laughs> can we can we dig down on that and get a little bit yeah. more gritty tonight? Is that cool with you Like, because Paul said we, we learn to rely on God. Yeah. Talk to me about therapy. Mm. Because I heard a, a recent statement that the trendiest thing in LA right now is a therapist. Yep. No, we believe in counseling. Yeah. We believe in the power of a counselor, but has something just become trendy to the point where we don't build a resilience or a reliance on God? We substitute that for a counselor or a companion that we put in the place of God. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm asking the questions here. I'll, I'm asking what they want to know. Before you pick it up, you can do that in your marriage. Like, I remember oh, yeah, that's true. having a great relationship with Jesus before I met you. And then, <laughs> when we got married, <laughs> wait, I'm about to redeem it. <laughs> then, because you're the physical person there, able to talk yes. to about Scripture, about the Word of God, then I began to take my stuff to you. That's right instead of taking it to God. And it was heavy. And it was heavy. Too much for any mere man to bear. 
And so I needed a saviour and it wasn't you. And so, and so. It's the truth. It's tr- I think I told you that. I said, honey, you, you need some Jesus time. <laughs> you did. You did. Actually, you still do. You tell me when I need to spend time with Jesus. But, but I think that sometimes. Great pastoring, by the way. <laughs> that can't, because in a marriage, you know, you can just expect to get from each other, get from each other. But we're meant to get from God, give to each other. That's the right, you know, way that it works. And so, and that does, that's not to mean that you don't benefit from, mutually benefit from giving to one another. You outgive each other. But I think that happens in these counselor patient scenarios as well. And I'm not saying that don't see a counselor. I'm saying, yes, see a counselor if you need to see a counselor. But um, I, but I'm also just saying that, you know, the dependency can be there. You've got this physical person in front of you that you are talking to and it is replaced like an idol, your relationship with God, where you now no longer go to the wonderful counsellor and you're entertained by a good counsellor. And there's, there's the Word of God, you know, so. I mean... We talk about this a lot. Actually, we talk about this on a staff level. The difference between pastoring and counseling is a counseling session will charge you money and, and, and ultimately uh, it's powerful, but return business is, is great as well. What a pastor will do will give you tools to work out and walk out your life in a way that you can walk it out with God. And what we're always trying to do is point people to God instead of put blame on the past to keep reliving the past and keep digging up the past actually is seldom helpful in moving forward in the future. There's a moment where you've got to let the past be the past and say, God, I need a brand new start. I need a fresh start. I can keep digging into the trauma and I can keep digging into the reasons and I can keep putting blame on who did what in my past. Or I can say, God, I need a brand new start in you. So God, I'm going to surrender my life and I'm going to start afresh if you would give me the grace to do it. And don't get us wrong, there's great to have people in your world who can externalize your thoughts and who can help you process things. But if they become the the carrier of your burdens and if they become the reliance and the crutch in your world, it may have got to an unhealthy level. Do not mistake the fact that you pay someone to do counseling, you can't just have a toxic relationship. You can still have a toxic relationship with a professional when they stand in the place of God and you fail as Kira said, to take things to God and you keep taking things to them. I thought I'd get an amen, but obviously I'm touching the, yeah. the tough stuff. Yeah. And just to get you know, practical with it too, if you are needing to see a counselor and you're Christian. We've got some good ones. Can I recommend go to a Christian counselor? Yeah. Like it, Please, I can't please. emphasize that enough. And I, I was a psychology major and I wanted to be a therapist actually when I was in undergrad and until you started pastoring. And then I started pastoring. And you <laughs> and I was like, uh, No, but the thing about it is that world, the education for therapists is not, if, you, if you're not going to a Christian, Christian therapist, it's not based on biblical principles. Some of it is, like they kind of dabble in it here and there, but ultimately it's so important that the therapist you see has Christian principles. Number two, it's important that there's an end date to your therapy. Like it's for sessions, right? Um, Cognitive behavioral therapy is really good because that works on reprogramming your mind, which the word talks about in order to, he says, be renewed by the transforming of your mind. And so what those will give you tools to help you with your thought patterns and align you with the word of God. And you can marry the two and a good Christian counselor 
counsel will help you that. But to, to stop that codependency relationship, if you know like this is gonna be eight sessions, we're gonna do this for 10 sessions, whatever it's gonna be, then you'll know like we're going in with the with an yes. end goal in mind. Yes, yes. I, I'm just gonna give you a flag if any counselor convinces you that you're a victim, it's the wrong counselor to go to. Victimhood will actually keep you bound. You are not a victim to your situation. You are not a victim to your past. You are victorious in Christ Jesus. And the only hope for your future is in realizing I am not a victim, I am a victor. I'm an overcomer in Christ Jesus. Can I ask, a, can I ask you a question? Yes, you may. Since we're talking about mental health. Is all suicide connected to mental illness? No. There are, in my opinion, three elements that result in suicide. Mental illness is a, a big one for sure. I also think a big reason is shame and regret of a situation that feels like it's surrounded them and there's no way out. And so the only way out is to better to end it than to be found out or those kinds of things. And I think it's demonic. That we can't underestimate the demonic power. You know, the Bible is very clear what the enemy's agenda is, is to steal, kill, and destroy. It's not just to derail or to pause your progress. It's to destroy you and take you out. And I know I get a lot of backlash from people about this, but that's why Christians are often so against abortion because the enemy's trying to take out lives from infancy and, 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 and we have to protect the innocent and the lives. We learn even today that it's not just a body, it's a soul, it's a personality. There is the unseen. You could talk about flesh and stage of development, but there is a soul woven into that life and that being. Regardless of its conception, regardless of how it came about, there is a soul connected to that and a personality that you can't see right now, but will develop in time as, as it begins to shape. And so I think there are different reasons why people end it. I think there is very heavy shame. There is mental illness but there is also the demonic. And unless we identify the three, we won't be able to give answers of hope and a way to direct people. Wow. And I think it's hope is the answer. You know, you said, you said the Apostle Paul uh, was probably a case study for uh, someone who had dealt with anxiety and dealt with pressure. I would say David yeah. was also one. So you know, David, when you read his Psalms, they are so blunt and honest, it's refreshing. Here is a king, and, and I don't know what role in the workplace you, you operate in today, but you're probably in a place of pressure. And here we've got David who was honest with his pressures and his feelings. And we find David even just admitting that my soul is heavy. Do you know what? I, I consider David soul aware. I think most of us are soul ignorant. We're, we're unaware why we feel heavy. Yeah. We're unaware that our soul's under attack. Yeah. We're unaware that we haven't conditioned our soul or cared for our soul. Wow. And our soul might be heavy and obese in, in a way where, where our soul is under strain and under pressure, but we keep hitting the gym to, to build our body, but neglect our soul. David was soul aware. He was so aware of his soul. He mentions it so much throughout his passages in Psalm 139 and all these different passages. You'll find that David speaks about his soul. He even commands, his, he speaks to his soul. He says, spring up, O well, within my soul. 
He speaks to it in, what was that passage that you were talking about in Psalm some, 42? Yeah, talk about that one for says, a second. You know, he says, why are you discouraged, O oh my soul? Yeah. Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior, my God. And when you read that Psalm, he goes on and he's like telling God, like, they're coming for me, they're oppressed for me, like I'm in so much anguish, I can't take it. And then he goes back to his soul. Why are you so disturbed, oh my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. This sounds like a candidate for counseling, for sure. <laughs> he's literally talking to himself. But I think a good dialogue with your soul is healthy. I think, do you just, why are you so downcast, soul? Like, why are you you anxious? Don't you know who your God is? Like, to remind yourself of your hope that you have, to have a dialogue with yourself. This is is a a conversation. You know, in fact, let let me open up to a psalm in Psalm 139. If you've got a Bible, open open up real quick. This will be helpful. And uh, this is one of the most powerful prayers. And if you're gonna do soul care, I would encourage you to utilize this verse because this is David's soul aware. And he says this in a prayer in Psalm 139, verse 23. He says, search me. Wow. He, he invites God in to the deepest areas. We learned that today that your soul is the deep issues of the heart. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous or wicked way within me and lead me in the way everlasting. He he literally invites the Holy Spirit to come in and check my heart. Have I been, have I got some wicked thoughts? Is there grievous ways? Have I got animosity towards people? Literally comes before God, which most of us wouldn't even dare to do. God revealed the dark areas of my life. He's transparent. This is the greatest soul care that you can have in your life is to bear yourself before God. Now, don't get us wrong. We're not saying that counseling's bad and it's great to have someone physical to talk to. We're for counseling. Please don't hear that wrong narrative tonight. But we just don't want you to substitute it for God. To have a relationship with God, your maker, the hope of the world, and to come before Him and say, God, know my heart. Search me. Find any way that's within me and lead me not down that pit, but to the way everlasting. What's the way everlasting? It's the enduring hope. It's the blessed hope that we have in Christ. That when everything fades away, when even this season of turmoil is over, my God will still be there. He is faithful. He endures. And it's a hope that lasts forever. It's a hope that's removed from rust and decay. It's a hope that does not fade This is what David dared to pray. Man, I I think it'd be powerful in the new year if we don't just set a new year's resolution of a fitness workout, gym membership. What if we had some soul care routine? Man, I'm speaking at a new level. Some, some, Some deep conditioning for the soul. Imagine the health that would flow from our life. Where you literally could just check your soul. God, how's my soul doing? Am I harboring stuff? Is there some toxic thoughts? Yeah. Is there bitterness? Yeah. These are the things that'll age you way quicker than, than even what you eat. Do you know your soul can be corrupted? Jesus commanded the disciples, check your soul. Check it. 
What is it to, to, to gain the world but lose your soul? It's what he said to the disciples, those who were closest to him. You could gain everything, but you could lose your soul. God, care for that. Do I have hope? Do I have a hope that endures? This is what's powerful, to know the hope that we have. There's a passage in Psalm 140. 141. Where was that passage you were talking about before, the David? About the ha- fact you were telling me before, I oh know it was in Hebrews, my bad, about the hope that is the anchor for our soul. You can't remember where it is. What use are you on the panel, my wife? <laughs> but, uh, but I will just say that there's nothing better than open heart surgery mm. yes. with God. Like yes. you're with the best surgeon. Yes. And how else are you gonna be able to identify sin exactly. unless God reveals it? Exactly. And I, f- I feel like sin is like the word that we're not allowed to use. We're not allowed to call things what they are. But, but when you can call it what it is and when you can identify it, then you can remove it. Yes. And you can, re- you can sever it from your life. You can repent from it and there's forgiveness for it. I've never found myself in moments of shame in the presence of God. Like there is no shame with God. He doesn't put shame on you. He's not a shameful God. He's a forgiving God. He's a loving God. He did everything that He could to remove the shame from us and redeem us from the curse of sin. And so a lot of the things that we deal with are the effects or the side effects of sin in our life. We deal with it on surface levels. But I don't know about you, but I don't wanna be the person that people have to tell me all the time what's wrong with me. I wanna be able to like identify that in the presence of God. And that's how you do that. You walk with Jesus every day and you care for your soul every day and you you get in the Word of God in the morning and you walk with God and you pray and you have a conversation and just like David did. Um, and, and you know, there was a period of David's life where he didn't converse right. with God, right. where he sinned with Bathsheba. Yeah. And then, you know, he just, he stopped his time, he, st- he stopped his soul care. He stopped his time with God, he stopped his prayers. There's not one Psalm recorded in the time frame between when he sinned with Bathsheba to when Nathan the prophet had to come and visit him and say, hey David, there's some stuff in your life that you need to deal with. Yes. And so that's again why the body is so fantastic. Yes. So when your brother and your sister can tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, I think there's some stuff that you need to deal with. So good. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so maybe there's some things in your words, there's some things that you've been saying that could, you know, help be indicators for what's going on on the inside of you. Amazing. Amazing. The soul care is so important. It's important to keep that connection with Jesus, to have Him as your hope and the anchor for your soul. Hey, I hope you were blessed by that message. We release new content every single week here at Vive Church. And so if you don't wanna miss any of it, I would encourage you, go ahead and subscribe. Also visit our website, vivechurch.org to stay up to date with everything that's happening in the life of Vive Church. God bless you.